confidence comes from success. And the dips can come from when you get punched in the gut and you fall down, you make a mistake. Those can be devastating to recover from. But we kind of have a little formula for that. We put all of our focus, not on our failures. We would always look for something, a new project or something that we'd be wanting to do to actually launch at that time. That's what kind of keeps you sane and keeps you from wallowing in your your own sadness. I'm not saying ignore the lessons that you need to learn from that failure. That's super, you need to get those. But I think a lot of people let that define them. And I think for us, we've learned, we don't allow our failures to define us. I mean, otherwise we would have never done LashCon. Always ask why. Why is this the way it is? The whole goal is to rise the industry, to grow it. Yeah, don't worry about giving us credit, guys. We're not here for that. If it grows the industry, that's what makes me happy. When you first said it, I was going to hang up. (laughs) It's not a race you want to win. Yeah, you're going to lose because it'll be too cheap. You'll be working for like McDonald's money. Otto, Mitter, under our show from Alibana. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on board. Okay, we'll take 20. I I can't do math. I'm a beauty professional. Yeah, they panning. I do teeth whitening. I'm like, okay, there's some point where you got to draw a line. My biggest concern is longevity and making sure that you've got the best possible mechanical fit. If you're looking for a lash podcast that will challenge how you do lashes, build you up, and help you create a business that not only thrives, but allows you to live a life you're proud of, you've come to the right place. This is LashCast, your friend in the lash industry. Coming to you from the City of Roses, this is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, get out of here. No, no, watch it, watch it. I can do it again. What? I can do it again. All right. Coming to you from the City of Roses, <laughs> this is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, smart cookies. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. We've had uh, opening with Tuss. Usually doesn't, she's not here for those, but today she stopped by my office and said, saw me about the records. I'm going to do the opening. So there you go. We get Tuss's new improved opening. She said I wasn't doing it right. <laughs> Anyhow, guys, welcome to the show. We are excited as always to be here in your, I don't know, iPod. Now, who has iPods? In your phone. Hopefully you're playing in the car. Somewhere you listen to us. We're excited that you are taking some time of your busy life to include us and make us part of your day. Today, we are excited to have Joanna Lee from a podcast called A Question of Confidence. And her podcast is from the UK. So we're introducing you to another podcast from over across the pond. And we were guests on her podcast and she asked us to be on there. And we talk about a lot of stuff. And this one, we actually get a little personal. We talk about our salon closing. We share some stuff about pricing because we noticed that the UK pricing is much different than what here is in the States. We give insights about what we do with our um, trainings or our speaking as well as just talking about confidence in general since that is her focus for our podcast and talk about even our failures and <laughs> how that affected us. It's a lot of stuff. So hopefully if you've not heard a lot of our story, and I do think we share some new things in here, this will be very useful for you to get to know us a little bit while at the same time, hopefully we give you a lot of value and tips and information that you can use in your own personal life and business. So guys, what do we have after I do our opening? Well, you know, we have announcements. For 
All right, we have one thing and one thing only between now and October 14th. I won't be talking about anything else, and that is LashCon. If you're listening to this, by the way, on the 20th of July of 2023, you know right now this is your last day before prices go up on Saturday morning, basically. So you want to buy your ticket today, save that 100 bucks. Otherwise, guys, you're going to be paying more. Why pay more? If you're going, I mean, I keep going to all this. I mean, literally, between June and July, I went to like seven events with lash artists at least seven and every one of them i met probably hundreds of you and i heard from many many of you go oh yeah either i've got my ticket like we were just at pla teaching a class and i think out of 16 students 11 or 12 already going so it was like almost everyone in the room was going and the other three or four were like i think i'm gonna buy my ticket now too but i keep hearing from everywhere all over the place people are saying oh i'm gonna buy my ticket oh i'm gonna buy my ticket and i get it's a lot of money and you've been delaying but this is it guys you don't want to pay more and you're delaying too much there is still a three-month payment plan so you really only have to pay like i think 200 and something to get your deposit down, and then you have two more months to make your next payments. But don't delay. It's seven ninety seven right now. By the way, it'll be eight ninety seven, which still I will promise you is well worth it. You will not regret. No one I know feels a regret after even paying nine hundred dollars or eight hundred ninety seven dollars for this event. Because the truth is, between airfare, food, and all that, it's going to cost you quite a bit already. So what's another hundred bucks at that point? You've committed, and you will get so much. You will grow your business. You will get networked. You will be a mover and shaker after this because you're going to meet so many other like-minded people who are going to push you and drive you. I, it's amazing how many people I see who now, in fact, quite a few of the speakers came to LashCon 2019, 2021, 2020, and guess what? A few years later, all of a sudden, they're like big deals. Like they're now really big deals in our industry. And I won't take credit saying LashCon made it happen. They did it. But I know LashCon helped encourage them. It helped network them, connect them to people, got them inspired. It made them think they could because they saw other people doing things. So I promise you, if you're in a place of burnout, if you're looking for that next thing, the creative thing where maybe you don't even want to start a brand, don't want to be a trainer, but you just want to find some inspiration, network, and meet some people that you can maybe collaborate with, LashCon is the place you need to come to. And I promise you, is a very friendly place. We really do our best. We set up socials, not just the parties, but we have social opportunities where you will connect with people. We have a lunch buddy program. So if you don't know anyone, you go to our lunch buddy program, you show up and our person will connect you with other lash artists who don't have any friends at the thing or looking to make connections. So that way you will go off and eat by yourself. We have also a thing where we put on everyone's shirt or tag that says newbie. So if you're new, you get a newbie tag, which lets everyone know that you're looking for friends. You're new, right? And all the alumni, it's our job to include you and make you feel welcome. Tusney also really has one job all last con, and that is to be the hostess with the most. So she goes around, running around, greeting people, connecting with friends. If you've ever been to a social, you'll see she's the one person in the whole room that's trying her best to connect everyone with someone else. She'll grab your arm, say, you know what, let me introduce you to two friends, and she will bring you over to other people. So if you come to LashCon don't know anyone, just come up to Tuss. I wish I could do that, but it's not really my gift. But not only that, I'm usually running everything. So I don't have, I will socialize, but I don't have that time to really make sure everyone's okay. I have to make sure the whole ship keeps sailing because we got almost 1,300 people going right now and it's going to be crazy and I need to have a few other things to deal with. But that said, I promise you, it's not like anything. And by the way, our socials that we have, 
We have certain games. We have certain things we're doing. We're going to have, looks like right now, we're going to do a wine and painting class on Saturday afternoon. That's going to be added soon. We have all our add-on classes on Saturday morning for Lash Lab, where you can come in and learn all sorts of fun stuff, like building websites and lash lifts and so forth. So you can add that. And those are are smaller classes, so you'll meet people and connect with people because they're also long, like three hours. So it'll be chances. We have the salon or breakfast, which is only um, usually 50, 70, 80 people. So again, it's very intimate, chance to network and connect. So if you're a or this is a great place for you to meet people. What else we have? We also going to have a, um, a regular parties, but I think we have, we'll have on Saturday afternoon a couple chances with smaller networking opportunities where we usually use some games to try to break down those barriers and connect people. And then Friday night we have a mix and mingle, and that's going to be um, hosted with Tiffany um, Mitchell as well as my brand lashes from um, not my from but Gretchen from my brand lashes. They have a thing set up, and they're also going to be just playing a game that gets people to meet mix and mingle network so guys really we do our best on friday evening and all day saturday to find ways to connect you with people so that when you go to your classes on sunday monday you're not gonna be sitting yourself by in the corner just going oh i don't know anyone i it's not your typical conference this is kind of like a las chela it's a it's a homecoming it's it's everyone's gonna be there um you can go up to your favorite influencers and the people you really admire not even influencers, just other lash artists you've seen their work and you admire it with 12 13 1400 people there there's a good chance they will be there so check out the link in our show notes and i know it's a long promo but just since we have nothing else going on i want to really hit hard on it today and you have hopefully you want more details and you haven't listened to it you can go back quite a bit a few months ago when we really talk about everything that's going to happen at lashcon in fact maybe in august i'll do another one where i break it down because there's more new things that we've added and we're always evolving always growing and i just i just can't wait guys it's only, it's less than three months away so it is going to be here before you know it, and it will be fun, I promise you. And you will be inspired, and you'll walk around, walk around, walk out with a new sense of community. Okay, long introduction for that. Apologize, I don't usually dig that deep on it, but today, it was a little special. All right, that's all I have for announcements and LashCon. Now, let's get to our interview, or should I say, where Joanna Lee interviews us. Hi, and welcome back to A Question of Confidence. My guests today are all the way over in California, and I'm so excited to have them join me. I like to call them Lash Royalty. They certainly bring a lot of color to our industry and so much energy. In fact, one of them has my kind of wardrobe. Please welcome (laughs) Mr. and Mrs. Loopers. Of course, I mean Paul and Tussany. Oh, thank you. How <laughs> sweet. I love it. Especially I, since it's, we're t- speaking to the UK, Lash Royalty means a lot to us. <laughs> oh, bless you. And I'm really sorry, Paul, but of course I am talking about Tuss's wardrobe. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't think so. I mean, I, I'm, I'm into the wine shirts now. That's my new thing. But that said, my wardrobe has never been impressed anyone. <laughs> I do love a Hawaiian shirt, though. So, yeah. Yeah, anyhow, but yes, Tuss is a fashion. In fact, the so last time fun. we were at, had a photo shoot a year and a half ago, and our photographer was like, you know what, Tuss, you really need to think about becoming a stylist because you could do this as a yes, a new career if you need a career change. So, yes. Yeah. So fun. So fun. Oh, yeah. You just have great fun with it. And that is basically, that is the vibe I get from you guys. I'm sure you can't be 100% fun all of the time. I mean, there oh, must no. be like down days, right? 
Absolutely. Well, usually when I go, when I'm working, when I'm taking clients, I have a uniform. And so I, I wear, I wear black, usually black pants or black and white pants, a black top or a white or a black lab coat. So it's pretty, you know, Monday, Monday through a Friday, it's, pr- it's pretty boring, but if it's not work, then it's color. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing that we noticed in the beauty industry years ago, when we would go to the conferences and trade shows, especially in the hairstyling world, everyone loves black. I mean, you just go to a beauty conference and you know it's a beauty conference because everyone in the audience is wearing black. And I remember Tusk, I don't know when it was, maybe 10 years ago, looked at me and said, you know what? I'm done with black. Like I just, <laughs> I, if we're coming to conferences and trade shows, I want, I don't want to just be in the seam of the sea of sameness. I like, I want to at least have my own individual kind of like brand of what I am and what I'm about. So she started what I'd say dressed like a clown. <laughs> yeah, he calls it full clown mode. You're in full clown mode today. Yeah, because she just likes to wear these fun, outrageous outfits. And and I, I realized when I was growing up, I mean, we give permission to rock stars to dress any way they want, right? Because they're rock stars. And I realized that most people just don't care. So I stopped caring. I started telling myself, you know what? No one cares that your wife is dressed like a clown. If anything, <laughs> she's gotten more attention now because she does. And it's just a matter of her testing the waters. And I've grown to be comfortable. I used to be embarrassed. I remember going out. And I, yeah, when you were dressing all these, I'd be like, oh my gosh, this outfit's so outrageous. Yeah. I mean, it's like way back 10 years ago when you first kind of ventured out and you started wearing some stuff. I was like, well, we'll just see how this goes. Like, and no one cared. That's, if anything, people liked it. People would give you compliments. We'd be walking down the street in Chicago or wherever and be like, oh my gosh, I love that outfit. And I'm like, okay. I have no clue what I'm doing. I, I'll just defer to you on clothing. You wear what you want, dress she, how you want. She literally makes a statement wherever she goes. I mean, Tuss, you literally like, hey, this is me. Take it or leave it. I'm making myself smile, probably making you guys smile. And, and having that actual courage and confidence to wear what the hell you want to and the thing that brings you joy – I'm the same. My kids are always like, ooh, mummy, are you you going out in that? And I'm like, yes. (laughs) I'm going to go and put on some more color. If you're going to say, yeah, if you're going to question. Yeah, she's had the same. Our oldest has questioned her outfits at times. And I think Tess all the more is empowered. Like, well, if that's how you feel, just wait to see what I come up with. Wait to see what I walk in with with next. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your kids, I mean, they should really know better. I remember there was one day when I was dropping my little one off at primary school. And I would just, all I did was drive up to the school with a window down and the radio on. And she was like, oh, mommy, that's so embarrassing. And I'm like, "Um, (laughs) no. And I opened the door and I turned a cartwheel down the pavement and I went, no. (laughs) That's embarrassing. <laughs> they know not to say anymore. I'll test you. Oh, Joanna, that is fantastic. Oh my gosh. I That's wish great. I had a moment like well, that. Yeah. I was going to say one thing about, since we're talking about confidence, and I really think that it, it this clothing was part of that for Tess when she really decided about 10 years or so ago to change her look. And so she could stood out because we always had a philosophy when everyone's going in the same direction, try to go the opposite direction. It's mm-hmm. just, it just, whatever trend is going on, if you want to stand out, if you want to have your own kind of place in this world, then you just got to be willing to, at that point, to, to be different and do something and stand out. So she, by looking at everyone wearing black, she decided to go into color. And I, and I remember being at last, it was actually last con last year. I was wearing one of my outrageous suits that she gets for me. She buys all my clothes. Great. I really don't dress myself. And she, I had this bright yellow outfit and I was wearing it. Someone made a comment says, oh, I get it. 
or someone made a comment like, why, why are you wearing this yellow suit? Like that's, it's so crazy. It's kind of stands out. And the gal next goes, well, you don't understand. That's their branding. Like they want to stand out. They want you to be able to see them and you'll remember him because Paul wore that yellow suit. And, and that's when I began to realize there's a strategy behind this. Mm-hmm. As we build a brand, as we want to build credibility, you have to deliver the goods, but you also, it's nice to deliver in a nice package so that people yeah. have a reason to remember it. So. And so is this kind of swimming the swimming against the tide? Is that something that shows up through not only just your wardrobe, but it, yeah. through your through your lash life and through your business as well? Everything it is uh, maybe our best secret weapon of why we do what we do. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest ones we discovered this about about 2014, I think it was when we changed everything in our salon and we went to a different model, which is called team based versus commission model. And when we did that, I felt like we kind of open the door to all these new possibilities. Like what else are we doing? That's just average. Because if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're average because that's what everyone's doing. And to stand out in your crowd, you have to be extraordinary. You have to be not doing what everyone's doing. And so something interesting to talk about something extraordinary. So that's why we started our podcast before podcasting became popular in the last world. We started our podcast because no one was doing it. It's why when we did our salon, we were trying to really, we were one of the last salons to move into the volume realm because we were really big on providing classic that looked like volume. Like we were doing 150 lashes per eye, which was super full and super natural because our clientele was so high end. They really appreciate it. Eventually when pre-maids came in, we really moved into that realm and become comfortable with it. But still for the longest time, we were very much different from everyone on that. Even with our, when we started giving away information five, six years ago, that wasn't really the thing yet. You know, Gary V and had not sunk in yet to all the other minions of the last world. Most people were still kind of gatekeeping and holding everything close to the hand. And we started saying, well, we're going to give it all away and build trust knowing that if we build enough trust, people will then start buying whatever we're selling down the road, even if they already know everything we've taught practically. So yeah, it's been pretty much something we always ask ourselves whenever we do anything, when we teach, when we speak, don't look at what everyone else is doing, be aware, be self-aware of everyone around you. Watch what they're doing and then try to differentiate yourself. What can I do differently? How can I bring new value? Because I just don't want to be a copycat. I I, I want to be something unique and different. And that's scary because it means we screw up sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) What's been your biggest screw up? Oh, our biggest mess up, not knowing labor law. (laughs) It's like, this is a totally different thing. It's not just about salon stuff. But I, I think when we didn't understand labor law and, and, and I had to close my salon in 2019 because of a, of a lawsuit that was for me, you know, other failure. Like we had screwed up to the level that we had never imagined possible. And it really came from ignorance and also from being cheap. Like we just didn't hire the best lawyers. Like we hired a cheap lawyer. And I, I never thought that axiom would come true where people said, you know, you, you get what you pay, you what you pay for it. We later, after we talked to many other lawyers after this thing, which I won't go into details, but basically we had some disgruntled employees where we had made some mistakes. I agree that we weren't, we were, everything wasn't perfect, but did we make egregious over the top mistakes? No, but what we didn't have are good records. And because we didn't have good records, at least in California, if you don't have very explicit records, you can be sued. And if you can't show very clearly these certain defi- defined boundaries, there's a murky gray area that they can get you on. And in California, they always side with employees generally than with employers. And so- For we, example, let me yeah. just give you an example. We might have, as our policy, have said 
finish your appointments 15 minutes early. We'll, I was we'll, like 10 minutes early, but yeah. 10 minutes early. And you're going to take that as a break. So that was just a policy. And that just was our practice that they would always finish 10 minutes early. But if it's not on the books as a specific break, then we're fined for it. Yeah. California right? finds you a full hour pay so, every time So for example, we also would have people take lunch breaks and it was always consistent. They did not have a break. But if it wasn't in the schedule as marked the, off, marked it's off. hard to prove right, it. Yeah. They could just say, I never got a break. I never yeah, got yeah. lunch. Like you did. But we didn't have a good record showing it. We later did before we got, you know, we had learned our lesson that changed all our policies and changed our system so that we did. But there, were, there was enough time there wasn't there. And, you know, couple that with a really bad lawyer who literally after it was all done said, well, I'd never done a case like this before. <laughs> it was like. It was so egregiously bad. I mean, it was like it. we should not have paid the least amount that it's really our fault. So so because of that, we lost the salon and that was a very, very painful. Yeah. And that, and that really hurts your credibility to think, I don't know what I'm doing. Like really what we took a lot of nerve for us. Cause what happened is our salon closed in May of 2019 and last con, the first last con took place in September of 2019, just four or five months later. Mm. And that took a lot of soul searching. I'll just say, because really I felt like a fraud. I mean, yeah, you had our... an egg on your face, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... Yeah. We I mean, we closed the slime. We did a podcast. It was our most listened to podcast at that time because everyone wants dirt. Everyone yeah. wants to hear yeah. what, how bad you screwed up. And we kind of admitted like we, we made did. huge mistakes. To it. Yeah. Go listen to it. It's a, it's a sad episode. It's an hour and a half long, though. It's a lot. But we really broke down what we had done wrong and how we screwed up and where our mistakes were and what, and lessons, some of the lessons we were learning. And oh, by the way, we're doing a business conference three months from now. <laughs> It was like, it was like, I was like, people are like, wait, you guys, you two who just yeah. closed your business are going to be leading a business conference. It was, and how it was, did it, how did that business conference go? I bet you sold more tickets, right? Yeah, no, I went fine. We had almost 300 people for our first last con. And, for, and at that point in the United States, that was the biggest last conference ever. I mean, most mm-hmm. conferences were 50 to maybe 120 people and we had 300 people almost at ours. So it was like, Huge success. We didn't make any money that first year because we put all the money into the event itself and just broke even. But it was definitely a a, a big boost of confidence when it happened because I realized, you know, being transparent, being open about your failures is just as important as as celebrating your successes because people will learn from those too. And yeah, especially as you you're so massively into you know improving the lash life of other lash artists through education. So that's one of your passions. How did you, talking of passion, how did you two get together? Where did you meet? What's the story? Oh, we at church. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was working on staff at the time. We were in our 20s. She was like 20 years old, I think, 20 years old. I was like 25. Yeah, you were 20, yeah. And I remember I was basically working on the youth staff uh, and my job was to create media and uh, do fun stuff. My job, I was in charge of fun. Just that we had a pastor cool. t- taught. And then my job with the youth group was to so be she needed to do a, like a, a video, a video on like a family relationships. And, and mm-hmm. he needed a, a model. I need a super hot model. Oh, stop it. He, asked, <laughs> he asked my best friend and she can do it. No, yeah, it's she, us. No, yeah, but, my girlfriend. Yeah, but you were no. It was quickly. She said, "Well, Tuss would be great." She said, "I can't do it, but my best friend can." So, so. we spent a whole day shooting video and film, like it's something like eight a.m. to like ten o'clock at night. It was like a fourteen-hour day. I remember, and I remember after we got done, I went home to my roommate and I said, "Hey, I met my wife today because <gasps> I 
absolutely fell in love with her and thought she was amazing. She was beautiful. She was smart. We had, the, she appreciated my sense of humor, which is, I think the most important thing in the world is like, you laugh at my jokes and she didn't feel any of that. No, no, I was not in a place where I was ready to no. be in a relationship. And I was just like, he was automatically in the friend zone. Yeah. And we had a talk like two weeks later, cause she could tell I was falling, going crazy about yeah. her. Yeah. And she sat, brought me over to her house. And I remember going upstairs into her throne room. That was her mom's yarn room. Anyway, long story, but that said, <laughs> I sit down and we were, she's talking to me. She says her basically the line I remember, and you'll probably correct me is I, I never lose sleep over you. You know, I, I, <laughs> so brutal. Oh, but it was, it was brutal. No. Okay. But here's the thing. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm just going to, because Joanna, you're such a sweetheart, and I and, and I know you don't want to look bad right now. <laughs> I'm gonna you I'm gonna dish me. the tea. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna be a little bit vulnerable here, and I'm gonna really tell you what was going oh. on. Okay. So that's true. I don't think you've ever really. I've said never this. shared yeah, this before. I've never shared this before. So one of the reasons why he was automatically in the friend zone is that he didn't know that I had just had my first child. And he didn't know because the child wasn't with me. I had an unplanned pregnancy and I had made an adoption plan for my child. And I knew the whole time I was pregnant that I was going to surrender this baby. I wanted him to have a life. I knew that it wasn't with me because I wasn't ready. So I, I, I picked out this family and, you know, I was grieving. I was deeply, deeply grieving when, when, when he met me. And I had no clue. And I was. And, and I was in the place where, you know, so basically I surrendered the, the child for adoption. Everything's great. Fast forward, you know, mm-hmm. 30 years from now. I mean, he's in my life. He calls oh. me mom. Oh. Um, he lives five minutes from us. I, he, I, I'm just so honored. I'm so honored. I'm so, so honored. But anyway, at the time I was like, okay, how did I get myself in this situation? This is not what I wanted. By the way, my life. Uh, guys falling and stumbling all over you was not an unusual thing. I just, but see, here's the problem. I just, I just would, I would go with the person that wasn't a good man. Right. And so I was like, I don't want this for my life anymore. So it was a real come to Jesus moment, Joanna. It was really a time where I, I really was seeking God to find out what's the most important thing. I thought I've really messed up a lot and I didn't want to do that anymore. So I was like really surrendering to what God would have for me and to, to live my life according to what, what he said. And so I was doing and, and just counseling and and just doing a lot of healing from surrendering that baby. And yeah, she wasn't you were was ready. Not, for I was not ready to, to to date at all. And so when he starts looking at me with googly eyes, I'm just yeah. like, yeah, dude, there's just no not going to happen. I just had a baby. I no, no. Please. And. And so he's carrying on. He's like, oh, but but this about our relationship and this about our relationship. I'm I had like, never connected that quickly with some of my life. No one. It was like natural. Be honest with him. And I just had to say, listen, I've never lost sleep over this relationship. You yes. Know I mean? So it's like I wanted him to understand that it's he's got this whole thing in his head about us being a thing. And, then and I'm the- like. No, there's no thing involved, you and, know. And then I did the Jim Carrey thing from Dumb and Dumber where he goes up to the girl and says, is there a chance? She goes, no, yeah, <laughs> not a chance. One in a million chance. And then chance. Jim Carrey goes, then I got a chance. He's like, one in a million. And she did the same thing. I was like, well, what are chances? Like maybe down the road we could date. She goes, 
no, I don't know. And I said, is there any chance? Said, well, maybe a slight chance. And I remember not being depressed. I walked out of there thinking I have a chance. Like there's maybe a slight chance, but there's a chance. I feel connection. that's going to happen. And it took a year later. It was like a year and a half so later. She, you know, we became, we were, we were friends. friends. We did. We were friends and he was good to me. He was, and I realized I didn't think him. I, I used to write in my journal, Joanne. I used to say, dear God, Please don't let me marry Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I had this idea that what of what my partner, my husband was going to be. It was not a bald guy like me. Dashing it, you know, and I think you're dashing. Oh, thank you. You did not have hair 30 years ago, Paul. I did. I did have some. I was thinning, but I I did have hair. He did have hair. (laughs) But I realized that what I wanted or what I was attracted to at the time was not good for my soul. Mm. So I decided to make my life decisions based on not how I was feeling, but what what was really important to me. By values. By values. And so I I did it without those feelings. But it took us a year for me to realize, oh my gosh, here is a man that that I can talk to, that I have deep respect for, and that cares for me deeply. And a lot of those feelings, romantic feelings weren't necessarily there at first, but I knew in faith, I just trusted that what I was seeing was good. And I made that decision. And in fact, she asked me out. I did. But I was done with her, actually. I was moving on because I couldn't handle <laughs> all this friendship zone anymore. And then literally the day I was going to go to her, it was the Thanksgiving of 1992. I was going to go to her and tell her, I'm done. We can't be friends. I, you've been nice. It's been a good run, but I got to move on with my life. And that day she was, would you like to go on a date? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you say yes straight away or did you make her I, I was like, wait, like tonight? We'll go now. <laughs> no, like, I was no. like... Yeah, my mood changed. And then the scare, all my friends, four weeks later, I proposed to her on Christmas Day. Oh, my and, God. And uh, yeah. like, because I just knew. So I, I were technically dating for two weeks. Or four. Oh, or, oh yeah, two, two weeks. weeks. We had two weeks to our date, and then two anyway, weeks until we got engaged. It's not the way to do it. I don't recommend anyone just hang out and then two weeks later get engaged. We did. And then we were engaged no, for a year. For but, a year, that good yeah, year. Year and a half. Then our, we had another a year engagement. Yeah. So about yeah. two and a half years before we actually were married. So yeah. there was a friendship there before. Otherwise, it probably would have been doomed. But seriously, <laughs> I mean, this is 30 years ago and you guys are in each other's pockets. You work together. Yeah. You do everything together. I mean, everything. You, you were seriously blessed. You might have said, please, God, don't let me marry Paul. But wow, he had other plans, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> sure did. And see, that's the beauty of it, Joanna, is like, I believe, you know, it says in the Bible that his ways are not our ways. And so sometimes it might not make sense to us what we've been given or what we have to do. But to if we trust God, you know, he he has our best. He yeah. has our best. Yeah. And bless Paul for his tenacity and positivity. That's actually been our two ways. I mean, we always say I'm the half or cup half full and she's the half, half cup empty. half empty. Like we so, really are opposites that way. I tend to always be way too optimistic how things will go. And Tuss tends to be the pessimist. Like yeah. things won't work out. Things are. And actually it's been a healthy balance. I mean, mm-hmm. where you need both those push and pulling, I feel like in the relationship and all our decisions and how we do things. And, and that allows us to, I think, approach things a little bit more even even keeled. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I wish both of us were even keeled, but we're not. We're both very off the charts, I think, in different directions. So, well, it obviously we, works. So, how, I mean, yeah. Paul, you you don't have a background in lashes. So, mm. so Tuss, were you lashing when you met? No, no. I wasn't. No, you were, I, you were in beauty, though. I was in beauty school. Yeah, I we, got my, yeah. my esthetician's license. 93. In 93. We were married in 93. Yeah. 
So he was along with the journey. I had been working in a salon before that. So I worked at the front desk. Like and when then you're I, 18, 19, you worked yeah, at I made a receptionist. my way up to salon coordinator. So I was managing the place and making orders and, and things like that. And then I decided to become a service provider. After, shortly after that, I went the medical route. I worked for several plastic surgeons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and course, worked- I think you got a really wide variety of, of experiences because of that, which allowed her to be really open to new ideas. Yeah. Because when Lashes first showed up- you two- weren't even here 30 no. years. No, no, no. It was 2005. You didn't actually invent them. No, <laughs> yeah. They had not been- no one knew what Lashes were. But yeah, she in 2005 went to a trade show here in LA and she walked in- and Nova Lash and Extreme Lash were there and Lavish Lash. Like these are three big brands, at least in the States that were around mm-hmm. back in the early days. And she merely just- I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is a this game is changer. Be, because- not, so What it, year it, were you first aware of Lashes then? Because me, when I started in 2010, I did feel like it was quite new. People still come to me now and go, oh, is this new? You know, like, uh-huh. like uh, no. No. Uh, when, when do you think, like Nova Lash, was that like, were they one of the originals? When do you think? Yes. 2004. Really? Okay, 2004. So, I mean, I I was taught about how to apply cluster lashes in beauty school. And that was my first uh, entree into the, into the world, but it wasn't like what we do today. No, I think the real push came uh, Korea Around probably 2004. in 2003, 2004 developed the concept. I no one knows who, cause I've tried to find out who was the first and everyone wants to take credit. That was them. So everyone's like, we were the first, we were the first. So there's no real clear line, at least not yet on who really was the first Korean company to come up with the idea, but they, we believe, and this is not verified, came to U.S., went to Cosmoprof in Vegas and Cosmoprof's Hong Kong as well as Bologna. I don't know if Bologna, I think Bologna was around already. And they showed up and, and said, hey, guys, we are selling this thing called Lash Extensions in pots. Mm-hmm. And so they showed up and brand the brand owners from, like you, that you had said earlier, Nova Extreme Lavish in 2004. And that probably July, we believe, of 2004, went to the trade show, saw these Korean brands. What, you don't believe this is the time? I do believe it's the right time, yeah. but that's not what happened with Lavish. Oh, okay. Lavish found out about it and they went to, to Korea. Korea. Okay, yeah. So okay. Found out about it, and well, then they brought it back. I'm betting that they heard through the grapevine from... I'm going to get Cosmoprof. So, because that's where, if anyone doesn't know, in the United States, as well as over in, in Europe, Cosmoprof is a manufacturer and distributor trade, trade show. show. It's huge. There's one in Bologna, in Italy, and then there's one in, in Vegas and one in Hong Kong in Asia. And this trade shows where all these manufacturers from the world, distributors, and, but mostly manufacturers who are trying to sell products that they have developed that are new to the industry. They go there and they try to sell them. And so these American companies, which are distributors, that's a big distinction too. I always have a problem. So many companies say, we're manufacturers. I'm like, no, you're not. You're a distributor who buys products from companies who do manufacturing and then you distribute here. And those companies did that in 2005, touched with the trade show in in LA and thus lashes were born in the United States. You were right back in the beginning though. You were right in there, right at the start. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Right. I don't think there were many people can say she's been doing it eight almost 18 and a half years now doing lashes, so. Yeah. Wow. And when volume came in, Russian volume, how did you first learn about that? I mean, it sounds like you were already creating kind of volume sets anyway with classic lashes, as you said earlier, but when were you kind of aware of the like handmade fan making and was that, did, was that invented by a Russian lash artist or not? 
It was probably around 2016-ish. Yeah, I think it's earlier, like 2014. Yeah, and I I actually had a little bit, a lot of resistance to it at the time mm-hmm. because it was new and anything new, yeah. it just takes a little bit, a minute oh. for you to, to warm up to it. And actually um, it was that, no, it wasn't, I was going to say it was at Lash Fest. It wasn't Lash Fest. It was actually at Lash Boss Summit. Jamie asked me, what's my industry ick? Like, what do yeah. I not like? And I said, I'd probably get killed and crucified and I'll say it here too. But Russian volume to me is a huge ick. It is way too intense, way it's too fun. hard looking. It's not, it's just, it's like, it, it, there's a perfect caterpillar. It's just not my style. And that we always, because of Tustin's high-end clientele who wants very natural but still impactful, but natural looking lashes. It just went against everything that we had always done all these years. Our bread and butter was an, a, an older woman, you know, mm-hmm. soccer mom age. Mm-hmm. Um, Lawyers, who, doctors. Uh, of course, we got the 20 something party girls, but those ones don't have as much money and they're not, they're not as committed. They're not going to pay as much and, either. And so, yeah, everyone loves to do the young party girl because it's really fun, like fun hair, fun nails, right? But they're not the bread and butter. The bread and butter is, is being able to do something subtle. Anybody can do volume. Anybody can do something big, big lashes. But to be able to do something authentic and convincing for the the, the woman of a certain age who just wants to look enhanced but not outed. So we have a lot of we had a lot of producers, a lot of professionals, uh, bankers, who, attorneys that didn't want to draw attention. They the doctors want to, be, want to show up with stripper lashes on, like these massive <laughs> lashes. Like I'm about to do your surgery, and they're like, whoa, 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 wait, what's going on with your eyes? To be taken seriously, yeah, right? It, it, and so that's when we really focused in on a, a subtle look because I think it's it's much harder to achieve that subtlety and that long lasting wear. So that's really where our bread and butter was. So we we have that prejudice against that the super initially super initially. I mean we've I think you've gone a I've little changed. bit more now I, it, I mostly only do volume. Now. Yeah we, do, um, we don't do classic I've done that in like three or four years I think well, uh, some people really? yeah. yeah yeah because I, I feel like classics kind of came right back around after COVID. You know, I think once you learn volume, you were like, oh, wow, this is volume. Okay, forget classics. And, you know, yeah. you're all you persuaded your clients to go the volume route because, you know, they'd have a, 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 a more a bolder look and everything else. But I found that after lockdown, where people had survived without lashes, and of course, in this country, in the UK, we were on lockdown way longer, I think. We didn't open to like August, middle of August. So I, I think we beat you. We, really? we we were nine months closed. California. California. Okay, California. Yes. Yeah. We yeah. were not <laughs> Florida was open. Florida was open closed for like two days, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They just recently, just a month ago, lifted the restriction on masks. But where? Uh, here. Oh, in California. No, no, it's been longer than that, Tess. Well, Wait, what for lash artists you mean? No, 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 that's not true. They've the mask mandate's been gone for over a year. No, when you go to the doctor's office, oh no, you're right, oh, yeah, doctor's yeah, offices, yeah, you yeah, still yeah. have to hear in some yeah. like you go for a physio appointment sometimes. It depends, it, it's up to the provider, I think. Yeah, exactly. The same thing here. I think it's kind of your choice, and some doctors still choose, yeah, to force that and I mean, all that. that. Okay, that just Kaiser was enforcing that, like, yeah, you're right, up to okay. So, California too. was cautious, and yes, yeah. we were very over the top cautious. <laughs> Okay. But you're right. I mean, classic is back. That is true. I do. That is a trend that's going well. There are a lot of people going back to classic. I believe that's absolutely. So when I say I do mostly volume, it's still very authentic looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of my volume is like maybe a seven millimeter 
fan uh, length. So they're, they're tiny. Yeah. Um, it just creates an authentic look. You put, you put those seven millimeter fans be, between eight D and, and, and 10 on all the baby lashes. It just adds so much thickness and volume. And then you just put, you can put a classic on your longer control lashes, the ones okay. that are in the antigen. Yeah. Telogen stage. And it just creates a lot of blush looking lashes. It's great. Yeah. yeah. I want to come and get my lashes done by you now. It's a bit of a long way to go, especially yeah. if I'm back to infills. <laughs> well, and and what so we've been honored. told, the pricing in the UK is so much different than here. Like Tusk <laughs> here is $405 for a new set. And we're going to raise. I basically her- charge two, three, or two seventy for a fill, which a two seventy is a two hour fill. Yeah, most of my people are on. Most are hour and a half to two hours. Yeah. So you know, it's it's so much harder to become a lash artist. You have so many more regulations. Where oh, I've been speaking to a few girls, and you know you have to get a, like a a facialist thing before. Yeah, esthetician. Yeah, have to have yeah. a state license. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, here, literally, I mean, it is a problem. There are not regulations in place. Yeah. It's a shame because it's we're in danger of really cheapening the industry because literally you can do oh, an online course yeah. or at least turn up for a morning to some course whereby you don't even learn how to patch test a human. It's literally on the mannequin. You do your lashes and you leave with your certificate. I yeah. mean, and then you Canada is the same way, I think, too. Really? I, yeah, I think Canada, there's no regulation of a member. I, well, I, New Brunswick is different. It's, it's a province by province thing. And I know in the United States, there are a couple states that have no regulations either. Right. It's state um, by so. state. Yeah. But there are some benefits, Joanna, to not having those regulations because it does mean that more people, more women can instantly, you know, start making a living. Yes. However, I do see long term in some ways, it really does gut the industry because it, the standards aren't high enough to charge enough because mm-hmm. there's so many people that are doing it. Yeah. And so that the can, bar of entry is so low. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can take, get a full, you can get a full set here for 30 pounds. So what's that? Yeah, that's that's like like 50, 60 bucks, something like that. Yeah. And that's a shame to me. That makes me hurt for my lash sisters abroad across the pond because it's a hard skill and there's a lot that goes into it. You can't make a living off of that. Make a good living. You can maybe squeak by with government assistance, but you can't like really. I mean, yeah, I always say to my students, look, don't judge yourself by the people who are charging around you. Set your price this high because the cream will rise to the top and they're like oh but they're all charging 30 40 pounds and i'm like well you are going to charge 75 pounds as an introductory offer i mean that's still low by u.s standards yeah but and they're really resistant initially but you know when you've had the best training when you use the best products when you are you know your whole attitude to your job and also if you if you charge too low, you attract the wrong people, don't you? So exactly you're never going to get out of that rut, are you? I do want to add to that, Joanna, because what you're saying is extremely valuable. You, we were saying earlier that, you know, you look at where everyone's going and then you go the other way. Mm. So what you're saying is if everyone's charging, you know, 30 quid, then you need to go a different way, charge 70. And then the other thing that I encourage people to do is like, just because everybody else has, you know, you know, like they wear cute outfits to work, wear a uniform. It's one of the best things that you can do to immediately set yourself apart from everybody else. Professional. You have to raise your game. You have to raise the how 
every touch point that you have with your client, like how they walk up to your building, how they enter the building. If you're working on a client and you're answering the phone, I mean, that is not a luxury service. No. You have to look at all those touch points and you have to increase the value and the the the, the, customer. and I actually think a lot of people, I mean, we've talked about this. We like, we want to do, we want I know, we really people in the UK charge more because I really think it's a mindset thing. And I really think it's a lot of fear and it, we're just doing a race to the bottom. Cause if you, if your only selling point is I'm cheaper than my neighbor next door, then that you're, the only thing you can race on or compete on is price. And that is a race to the bottom, which means you'll eventually go out of business. So you got to change the discussions no longer about price that it's about value. And if you can mm -hmm. start talking about value like i give more value in that girl yeah she charges 30 bucks but i give you a whole lot more value in what i do for you so it's i not charge the product so i charge use. 200 pounds for a new set because and i actually believe this this is a weird thing that i'm i wish i guess we were now because i'm assuming most of your audience is in the uk but that for people who are lash artists doing there don't realize they say, well, people just don't want to pay. I hear that. Oh, we don't want to pay a lot for lashes. I'm like, do they pay a lot for their hotel? Do they go, are there five-star restaurants? Are there Michelin-star restaurants? Are there high-end clothing stores? We went to Selfridges and there was all these fantastic boutiques and the stuff in there was not Crazy cheap. expensive. Know, and people pay that. Yeah. In London. So London is not cheap. People are not cheap in the UK. They aren't like, I'm broke. I could never afford a high-end service. So many people in the lash world and that word, we've done the same thing. You think- for your client, like I can't afford this. So my client can't afford Get yourself this. out of their wallet. Yeah. Can't yes, be thinking about I their wallet. That. They have a different, they have a different pricing point structure that they live off of that, how they, they spend. Be, they want to go to the best. Yeah, they do. And, fact, and also sometimes the price point is like, well, if it's not, they must not be that good if they're only charging 30, exactly. 30 pounds. That's cheap. Exactly. So you, I mean, I almost bet right now, if there are some lash artists out there that go and say, I'm 200 pounds for a new set and I'm 120 for a but fill. you can't look the same as everybody else. You have to yeah, change. Yeah, you can't be average. You, you can't be average. But you have to do something different. Just charging more, they're going to attract clients because there are going to be clients out there they are going, I'm tired of going to the cheap lash artists. I want to go to the best lash artists and everyone associates price with the best. No one is going to buy a, a, a Bentley thinking they want a cheap Bentley. No, they know when they go to the Bentley, they're going to pay like a insane amount of money for that. The same is going to be true for lashes. If they, if you want to attract a whole new type of audience and high end clientele, I'm sure, you know, well, the queen of England's no longer here, but if she was to get lashes, king, she, of England. king of England, if he was to get lashes or his wife, they would get, he does get lashes. Oh, he does. Now I've seen Kate with lashes on her wedding. Oh, yeah. She was wearing classic wow. lashes. Yeah. Yeah. I, so they're going to, pay, lash I don't, them. she doesn't want to pay. Kate does not want to pay 30 pounds for a new set. She does not. That would be scary for her. She'd be like, nah, how good can they really She's be? She's a very down to earth woman though. But I, I know, so. but I'm just saying that they, most people, you're right. She is, but that most people still are going to say, I want if I'm the, if I have money and resources, I'm going to pay for the best because I'm worth it. And they're going to generally go to higher price people. But if there's no one out there offering it, then they have to settle for a lower cost. So I'm just waiting for someone to say, screw it. I'm charging 200. And guess what? They'll be busy. I'm almost hundred percent sure they'll be busy because no, you'll be the only one charging the same prices. Just don't do it out of your bathroom or kitchen or something like that. Be, well, I charge like, 125 for a three hour set. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. You're getting there. Getting there. Good for oh, awesome. you. Push it. <laughs> and you know, if, if I have less clients, that's okay. Why do I want to ram my diary full all day? Work smarter, not harder, right? 
Yeah. I mean, literally if someone's paying $30 and you, you just get four clients for the same price of one for one, right? So <laughs> 120 or one or 30, go with 120 and work once a day instead of seeing four clients and working your butt off and dying. So yeah, I, I 100% agree. <laughs> it works for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I've met you guys a couple of times now. I saw you speak at London Lash Pro and also at Lash Fest. And you you always bring it. I mean, you're you're vibrant in the way that you show up physically, but also in the way that you present yourself. So the minute you get onto that stage, you are like high energy, just you always make such an impact. How do you do it? And I just want to know how you, do you rehearse together? Because I love the way that you bounce off each other. Do you go, okay, Paul goes, okay, this is my bit. Okay, Tuss, this is your bit. Do you like really choreograph it and practice it? We go over it a little bit. I wish we could go over it more, but yeah, that's the scary thing. We don't practice as much as we should. (laughs) So it would, I know that it would, we would improve if, if we, if we practice a little bit more, but we go over the outline and we'll say, you cover this, I'll cover this. Just like you just talked about. I mean, I think one of the things too, that really helps us is that we know our content. Like this this is not something that we just read yesterday. And, and, you know, the, almost every, in fact, no, almost everything we've taught is something we've practiced and done mm-hmm. and, and utilized. Mm-hmm. We don't, I don't like to teach ideas about things I think in theory work. And I think that's one of the dangers I see a lot in our industry. Sometimes I do see people speaking about things that I go, but you've never done that. Like, why are you speaking out on that topic when I've never seen you be the expert in that field? So it's like one of those things for us. It's just a very natural, almost like we've talked about times like, you know what? Or at least more me. I'm I'm kind of the improv guy. She's the script person. I could literally get on stage, give me a topic, and I'll talk 45 minutes about it. I'll just somehow find a way to improv it. She likes to read a script. And what we did, and actually, I'll show you the difference between Lash Fest and London Lash. London Lash, we actually had a script for that whole thing. And it was on the screen, and we just read our talk. We literally, it was like a teleprompter. We just had that script there. It was at your feet, wasn't it? On yeah. the I love yeah. that setup. I thought that was genius. It was really yeah. well. oh, they did a And I literally job. reached out to London. They were amazing. They ran such a good event. I said, look, we need a confidence monitor that has our notes on it because we generally read our talks. That's the way we like to do it. If we don't have that, we'll be... We'll meander. No, no, we'll have a, 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 oh, yeah. a hard copy of notes that we're yeah. going to do that we're... On yeah, two cards, yeah. a piece of paper, or my, I'll have my iPad or something like that. But we did with, with so that talk, we literally read our speech. They got it for us. They got us that yeah, confidence it was monitor. Great. So we went up there and it makes it really oh. easy to speak because she knows. Now I have it's no just us. Tuss reads her line. I read my line and we just go back and forth and it makes it oh. really clean and easy. There's a few spaces in there where I jump in and add some improv because I'm very much in the moment type person. But generally, we just follow the script. Now, last fest, we didn't have that monitor. So we had to be a little bit more. It was a little bit more of an outline. We just had, OK, here's our topics. Here's the things we're going to talk about. We rehearsed, I think, a little bit more because it was not scripted and we realized we would just have to riff a little bit and and that way the problem with that is that we sometimes run long like we yeah you're not scripting it Mm -hmm. and you can overstate something because you just want to really make sure you understand it or you're not you can see the audience isn't clicking so but that was our two different approaches to it and we generally like the the speed the notes way because it it just makes makes us more confident be honest because we really know exactly what i have to say and it's not like we I mean, we do. I think you probably read more than I do. I think I just take the first line. It reminds yeah, it, me of my it topic. You. It's literally yeah. like a mnemonic. You see the first couple of words and you're like, okay, I know this. I'm off. Yeah. 
Exactly. Um, I mean, I, I actually didn't know that. And I'm actually really impressed that you had that system at London Lash because I, I assumed all you could see on that monitor were your slides. Yeah. Whether you weren't having to turn away and disengage from the audience. I thought those were your slides that you were clicking through. I did not know that there was a script. So well done. Oh, thank you. You did not feel scripted. Oh, oh thank it. you. Well, that's, love it. I think that's just being familiar with your content enough yeah. that you can, you're not really. You were word for word, but you were taking your cues from, from that. I mean, generally yeah. with my students, I try and get them not to have, if they can not have cue cards, ideal because obviously yep. usually you've got a clicker and if they haven't given you a head mic i know you always work with a head mic don't you you've yeah. got a stick mic as well and then you're in real trouble yeah you're in trouble a clicker <laughs> and a stick mic and you, it can't be done so yeah. I, I just try and get the I, and I love your slides, by the way, because there's nothing on them. It's yeah. just very visual imagery and, you know, a few a few words. And I that is the perfect presentation mm-hmm. in my eyes because you don't want to have to have, you know, if your audience can read your slide, they can read your slide before yeah, exactly. they have time to say it. And they're bored because they've just read the, your slide and they've gone, yeah, I've read all of your points and you yeah. haven't even got to the first, end of the first one. Yet. <laughs> That's so, so true. Yeah, it's so true, and that's what we. I always say. I I have to give credit to Seth Godin. Seth Godin is a huge marketing guy here in the United States. He's considered like the marketing genius, one of the gurus. Has written like 30, 25, 30 books, something like that. He did a whole presentation on death by PowerPoint. PowerPoint. He, yeah, he just explains his biggest pain points of why PowerPoint sucks, and he says mm-hmm. don't do these things. And the biggest one, he said, PowerPoint. Like, one big takeaway is PowerPoint should enhance your presentation, not be your presentation. Because like you said, if they can read the whole thing, why do they need me? Like, I'll just go up there, hit play, read my presentation, and I'll yeah. sit here on the side. And when we're done, we'll finish and we'll wrap up with questions. Yeah, just, just just create an ebook instead. And be yeah, done. yeah, exactly. So that's why our slides are just there. The great color, yeah. maybe an example, maybe an illustration, but never to be the points themselves. I mean, once in a while, you may have a quote that's so important that you're like, yeah. I really want them to see this yeah. quote. But so they'll screenshot or something like that. Our very first presentation, though, was very oh, yeah. text heavy. It was very bad. In fact, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, I'd say our training, our last training is still very text heavy yeah. at times. But that said, that's because we're really teaching deep issues mm. and it's, like, it's a six hour class. So there's a lot more text, but we're trying to get away from that. <laughs> so here's a question. Paul, first, do you get nervous before you go on stage? No, I don't. Not not even remotely anymore. I, I would say this. I mean, there's a little bit of fear when we if we I felt like we haven't practiced enough. So I do remember, was it Jeez. Summit? It was Last Boss Summit. Summit. We really did it once, I think. And one practice, and it was a whole new talk for us too, about how to get high-end clients. And we had never done this talk before. But we knew we had notes on the screen that we could read. So we improv a lot of it and it worked out. So that's close. But generally, the reason why I don't have fear, and this is something that it, it takes a where I want to let people know, because a lot of people have never spoken before and it's their mm-hmm. first time. And yes, the first time is always scary. In fact, maybe the first five or 10 times are scary. I've been public speaking since I was like 10 or 12. I mean, since I was a kid, I was always the one thrown up in front of the group. 
I was on stage. I was on speech and debate club. I was performing. I was in band. I was in music. So I was used to be on stage performing all my life. I've been a performer. We did. I actually, we had a short time, a comedy troupe. I started that I recruited her to be part of back in <laughs> her twenties. when We first married called not funny. Cause we weren't funny. And so I I've always had this propensity to find myself in front of people in one way or another. And so it was not unusual when we transitioned and I started helping her with the business to say, Hey, it'd be really cool to speak one day on stage. And by the way, we were in the industry for 13 years before anyone asked us to speak on stage. So we knew our stuff too. And I felt like because of that, we had practiced, we experienced, we'd done it. It wasn't new to us that between my personal experience of speaking a lot in front of people and on top of that, of knowing our content, yeah. it was very easy for us to transition to speaking. And now for the last, what, four, three, four years, we've been speaking a lot. And it's all, and it's not because it just, we just started. And that you can, yeah. and that's something yeah. I want people to know that it's a, this has been a lifelong journey. I'm not exactly mm-hmm. young. I've been doing this for a long time. So it's easier for me now, but I'm sure if I had just started speaking three or four years ago, I'd be a disaster still. I'd be still, uh, you know. But even to a seasoned performer, a self-confessed seasoned performer, you did feel fear and nerves on that day when you felt like you were unprepared. And this, I think, is the biggest thing. And that's why I'm always saying to my students, you have to practice so hard that it is part of your DNA. So that when those nerves kick in and that fight or flight kicks in and you just like everything, every thought goes out of your head all you've got to do is take a couple of rescue breaths and a sip of water or just you know straighten up your notes or something or just have a look around the room and maybe have a little smile and it comes back because it is in there and it's having that faith and that trust that you know it is in there but if you've not if you're a bit unsteady a you don't maybe you don't know your content well enough or you've just read it yesterday as you said or you just haven't practiced the content that you do know but you haven't practiced your presentation of your content Verbiage isn't all done. So that's, that's astute because I really think it is. Yeah. The, the one time I could think of it was because we just didn't know our stuff. And when you don't know your stuff, whether it's either in rehearsal, like you haven't rehearsed it, it was the or, order of the stuff. or you don't know your stuff because you really haven't perfected it. Like you, it's not a math. You haven't mastered it. You're just teaching what someone told you to teach, which I think I see a lot of trainers doing that. Like, Oh, I'm just teaching this. Like, well, have you really mastered that? No, my, that's what my trainer taught me. I'm like, well, that's not mastery. That's just you mimicking being a parrot. Yeah. And of course, that's going to make you a little bit more nervous. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a good point. And Toss, how about you? Do you feel nervous? My answer used to be yes. The thing is that I'm not ever nervous when I go on with Paul. Oh. Um, but I'll take the fall. <laughs> well, just because you're, you're just easy to work with and you'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bounce off and we'll recover. But recently I spoke at Premier in Orlando and I I didn't have any issue. And the only reason why is because I've done it so many times that mm-hmm. I know, even though I have a feeling of unease going up there, I do have the confidence to know that I'll be able to deliver. Yes, and this is yeah. what I, I talk you've done you now. Trust, probably. You trust yourself. Yeah. yeah there was times. always a little bit of like, you know, maybe, not, but I have to remind myself I got this, you know, I, I know this. And this is what I tell people like at Lash Fest, there was a couple of gals before they went on, they were quite nervous about it. And I said, you're going to feel nervous, but as soon as you get on the stage, take a couple deep breaths and the anxiety will come down. Mm-hmm. It will come down. And then you're able to talk. But I think the big, the biggest difference of having the confidence is just knowing that 
I know my stuff. I know that even if I had to improv, I could because I know the content. So people who are starting to talk, if they know the content too, it's just nerves being up in front of people, but that will come down and then you can actually convey what it is that you need to convey. I think those nerves are a good thing too, because it's what keeps you honest. It's what keeps you working. I welcome those in the early days. I'm like, I want to be nervous because it makes me work harder to know my content, to practice, to memorize, to really feel like this is, I can go backwards, forwards, either way. And because I'm nervous and I, I don't want to fail. So that's, I find that as a very healthy emotion that pushes you towards excellence and working your butt off. And to be honest now, because we speak so much, we always try to change our content every time we speak. We don't always get that same thing. So sometimes, like I said, that it was all new. We had only done the talk once. It was definitely, there was a moment going in, like I was, I remember telling to us like, gosh, we don't know this. We know it, but we don't have not done it before. It's going to be fine. Yeah. She was like, don't worry. I'm with you. I was like, okay. I just think the fact is of fear and confidence and all of that kind of stuff, that as long as you are pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, you're always doing something new and there's always going to be an element of nerves and fear yeah. that comes in then. And actually that's good because it means that you are pushing yourself to grow. I mean, at Lashfest, like you, Paul, I've been on stage a lot in my life and I was really nervous. You know, I had natural. I was in, had a pink blazer and I had big sweat patches under my, under my arm. <laughs> I had to present like this because I couldn't lift my arms up because <laughs> I had like sweaty patches. Joetta, that is so surprising to me because one thing about you is that you are so emotionally intelligent that no matter what conversation you have with people or how awkward it might be, you know the right thing to say. It's like you're a natural. You have that. That's part of your DNA. That's who you are. Somebody is a little bit awkward. You're going to say the right thing to make it feel better. And that's just a charm that you have. So I'm so surprised to hear you say that you are nervous. Literally, I think one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. Thank you, Taz. Yeah, you're just a natural. So Thank you. So in terms of general confidence, when you are at your most confident, I mean, confidence is different for everybody. Mm. And I know that we've been talking about public speaking and you, that's a very different sort of box to just general confidence. Do yeah. you feel like confidence ebbs and flows in your life as things happen to you within your life? Or have you both always been quite confident people or have there been real dips where you felt like you haven't been able to be able to bring it to your business or show up for your audience or whatever? Well, I think confidence comes from success. And the dips can come from when you get punched in the gut and you fall down, you make a mistake. And those can be hard. They can be devastating to recover from. But we kind of have a little formula for that. When we were running the salon, there was one point in the beginning, we had a big walkout Four people left and it was quite devastating. So what we did, he signed me up to do a lash competition. And what that did is that it put all of our focus, not on our failures and the fact that we needed to start training new people and we needed to start from scratch. It gave us a new focus for, okay, we have a competition, we have a deadline, we've got to get all these ducks in a row to get there. And during that process, I remembered my love, which was lashes and learning how to 
convey that love through this competition. It really sharpened my focus and gave me something to focus on so that I wasn't so depressed about things. And when things like that would happen through the salon, we would always look for something, a new project or something that we'd been wanting to do to actually launch at that time. That's what kind of keeps you sane and keeps you from wallowing in your, in your own sadness. Because if you, when you have failure, it's easy to wallow in and just think bad thoughts and go down that thing. But when, like for us, it's like a shiny object. If you get a new shiny object that distracts you from that sadness and you need to learn, <laughs> I'm not saying you ignore the lessons that you need to learn from that failure. That's super, you no. need to get those. But I think a lot of people let that define them. And I've, I think for us, we've learned, we don't allow our failures to define us. I mean, otherwise we would have never done LashCon. So the failure, it's like when you do get knocked on your butt, when you do get punched in the gut, when you do completely fail, you have to look at it. You have to be honest. You say, okay, that's what I, that's what I did. That was my mistake. It's really humbling. It really sucks to be in this position right now. I never want to feel this way again. So what do I have to do to make sure that it doesn't happen? If it's a bad situation with a client, that means that I have to change my policies either to protect, to, to make sure that I'm listening better or to make sure that I'm not going to let somebody fall through the cracks. I have to change my policy. I have to change something about the way that I'm doing so that I don't ever get into this position again. So it's, there's a, a thing, whenever you make a mistake, it's either you, you get the lesson that you need, you either, you, you either succeed or you get the lesson that you needed mm-hmm. to be taught. And so that's how we take it. And we will also recognize that it sucks. It sucks at this point to, to be knocked on your butt, but I'm going to get something good from it. And so, I, yeah. And I think that the build off that it's built, having those small successes after a big failure or a big loss, or were you feeling defeated? you have to build small successes and those will help build that confidence back yeah. up. I look back in 2006 to 2011 was like a dark season for us in our marriage. Also a dark season for me in my career. It was, I was self-employed trying to do video production, trying to be a writer, trying to do all these things. And, it, and I was in the film industry. It wasn't going well. It was by no, if, uh, oh, by no, no one would no look metric. at me and go, wow, there's a successful man. That, that was <laughs> no one's thoughts about my Bless life. You. In fact, my friends, I think, were kind of confused. Like, what the heck is he trying to do? I'm like all over the map, really struggling. And her career started to take off, and which was humbling too. So I was extremely not confident for like four or five years. I was, I felt like a loser. I was in my now, I guess, was that like 20 years ago? So I was in my late 30s, early 40s. Feeling wow. I was having a midlife crisis. Like, oh my gosh, I'm a horrible person. I can't even support my family. Mm-hmm. My career has gone nowhere. I want to disappoint her. She was disappointed in me. I was disappointed. And yeah. And how things were not panning out the way she had hoped and what we dreamed when we we're in our twenties. And so it was a pretty down time. It wasn't until I decided to change my direction and join her for team. And so say, I'll t- join team Tustany. She needs help in the salon. The salon's growing. It's getting busy. She has huge success. And I had to eat humble pie and realize that my pathway was not leading us in the way of success. In fact, I was my whole identity had been shattered in a lot of ways. And I decided to try a different path and be okay with that. Be okay admitting to my friends, like I'm giving up my dreams, giving up my career, which I thought would be the death of me. I literally thought this is going to be the worst thing in my life. I'm literally going to die. I'm going to kill myself. I'm, I hate everything. It was very heart disheartening for me. But immediately as I changed it, first off, I didn't die. I was still alive. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm alive. I thought, <laughs> but I'm okay. And I also remember how much fun it is to be around this woman, like all the time. We enjoy working together. It saved our marriage because he demonstrated to me that he was willing to give up this dream that wasn't working to take mine, to use his talents for it. And 
that sacrifice meant everything to me. It's like, okay, this is the man of my dreams. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, so it was like, it was fun. It was fun to work together. Yeah. I mean, we had had headaches and problems, but we always had each other through that. I felt like to support each other. We really almost always agree on almost everything. So, I mean, we have a lot of conflict, like we'll disagree, but we always find a common ground and work through that. So it's not like it's a pain to work with her. Like, oh my gosh, she's so <laughs> difficult. Like, no, no, we we kind of have our lanes. We've learned to develop that we're really good at this and she's good at that. So we don't cross over too much. We really and complement it, one another. It did. And that, that fit really helped me regain. So after 2011, I think even though we had some major setbacks, we closed a salon, we still gained so many victories along that way that that confidence slowly built back up to where now I feel like, yeah, I can speak about business and running salons and running, working solo and, and marketing and, me- and all messaging. And I, I, I know what I'm talking about. I've done it enough times that I feel very confident, but man, it took us many years before that confidence really began to build up where I didn't feel like a fraud. Cause I think, you know, initially I was like, I'm a film guy. Why am I in the lash industry? <laughs> but that film guy still really comes through, through your social media and the way, you know, it's just, it all just looks so slick and so great. I love watching yeah. your Insta. And by the way, thank you very much for keeping me company during those lockdowns because I love oh. your, oh. <laughs> and, and I loved your, all the myth stuff, the myth busting that you do. It's just like, oh, God, yes, yes, yes. Or, that's us yeah (laughs) so good loved it so I don't want to keep you we have had a wonderful long chat I knew we would just before we finish up because my computer is telling me that it's gonna blow up in a minute because it's okay oh no no. (laughs) (laughs) so I'm worried it's gonna suddenly cut off in the middle so I will wrap us up there Uh, when you are at a low ebb you're not feeling like putting yourself out there because we all get days like that where you're just like, I can't really be bothered. And I'm sure there are plenty of people listening that, you know, maybe have no intention of getting up on stage right now in their career, but they do feel like they should be showing up at least on their social media face in front of their audience. What are your sort of three ways between the two of you that you would boost yourselves up, whether that is a physical thing, whether that's an emotional thing, mental, spiritual, whatever. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the real thing, this is why, you know, when Simon Sinek came out with Know Your Why, very highly recommended book, too, because Simon Sinek is the guy who started out. You see a lot of people post about why, know your why, know your why, and that's a common thing to see now. He is the one who really came up with that concept, but that, for me, is like at the core of, of what I need to do. Whenever thing is like, I'm not motivated, things kind of suck or I'm at ground zero and I'm trying looking up going, how am I get out of this? I go back to my why. And my why is not just one thing. There's kind of layers to it. But one of my whys is as a Christian, I do what everything I do, I do for God. I do it for his glory. I, I serve and I want to serve people and help people because of that. God is commanded us to love our neighbors and love each other. And so my job is to reach out and serve and, and help others. And I remember that that's my calling as a Christian to share the love of Christ with everyone. So that comes through my work, through my service, through my everything, I, how I can be supportive. And that's imp- incredibly empowering for me as a Christian because it's the core of who I am. But I also remember that my other wives are to love my wife and, and my and my family. And i there for them. Like if, if I break down and just, don't do anything, then the business won't grow. 
Good things won't happen. I've always, I've learned over the years, good things happen when you take action. Just, mm-hmm. yeah, bad things will happen too, but more good over time will happen. So I, for me, I've learned to realize that I'm here to serve my wife and to bring, make her life better in any way I can. And, and me doing nothing or being stagnant is a good way to bring back misery and disappointment. Cause we've been there. We've been there back, you know, 15, 16 years ago when my career wasn't going anywhere and we weren't finding traction and things were failing and there was nothing good coming from it. So me changing was the big key. So for me, remembering that I'm here for her to serve her, my kids, man, does that motivate me? It really does. And even, even if they weren't here, let's say some horrible thing happened that was set. We were, you were no longer, or my kids weren't around. I still feel like my other why is enough to motivate me and drive me every day so that I, I have a reason and a purpose to be here. I'm not just here to serve myself and make money and, and go on vacations and live this weird, crazy life, self-centered life. My life is about service and, and, and loving others. And that's what I think is really what helps me to kind of push me forward as, as my why. So mm-hmm. I agree with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I else? Yeah, I have some other ideas, but yeah. Yeah. I just think that you, you, you do, you you know, you wake up and you're, you're feeling low, but you just do it anyway, because the, if you don't, it's not good for you. It's not good for your soul. It's not good for your business. So you, you do it tired, you know, you do, you do it grumpy, you know, you do it scared and you just keep, you know, like there was a season where I was really into spinning in the class on the bike. And I, I just said, because in the very beginning, it was really, really difficult. And I just remember the teacher saying, just keep pedaling. It does you can't, don't, don't try to keep up with the heart rate and, and the monitor and the hills, just keep pedaling. So as long as I just keep pedaling, I'm going to get there eventually. Doesn't mean that it's like a full throttle, you know, the highest intensity possible, but I am just keep pedaling. Yeah. I remember a a saying that about visit or emotions are like visitors who just, who leave. Like you don't, don't base anything you do off your emotions because they come and go. Emotions come and go just like visitors in your life come and go. And Mm -hmm. so for me to remember that if I'm not feeling good, it's just a visitor who's going to pass and go. It's Mm -hmm. not, this is not a permanent state that I'm going to be in for the rest of my life. It's just a bad day, a bad morning, maybe a bad week or month, but it will pass. All these things pass. Emotions lie to us. So I try not to base most of our decisions. I mean, it's hard because it goes, I'm very emotional, but I try not to base decisions on emotion. You try to base upon information, facts, big picture. What's my, why the, the bigger things. And if it satisfies that it satisfies what we're trying to do with our life and our bigger missions in life, then we go ahead with it. Even if the emotions say, Oh, I don't want to feel like to bring it back full circle. That's like when we first started talking about like why we started dating. Yeah. It's like, I needed to choose something that wasn't based on my emotions. Yeah. My emotions before had led me to bad places. Yeah. Some jerks. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing too, I got this from Seth Godin is to remind myself that my tribe that I need to show up for is going to be different than anyone, everyone else's tribe. I mean, there'll be some crossover, but I have people who actually appreciate and like what we do. It may be small. It may not be huge. And I can't sit there and worry about tr- showing up for everyone on Instagram or on, on speaking. Like when you go on stage or like that, there only may be 10 people in that room that really need to hear what we have to say. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them are like, I don't care what Paul says. He's an idiot. That's fine. But I'm there to serve those 10. 
And I can yeah. remind myself, I'm just there to serve my tribe. And my job is to keep putting myself out there. And the more I put myself out there, the more of my tribe I will find. And, and that, that it's a slow process. I know sometimes people see Instagram and social media, like someone's blown up and they have a hundred thousand followers. I'm like, yeah, but you know, a lot of times they bought those followers yeah. or a lot of times they've done certain little things. So, you know, they will never admit to it, but they do. If, if you've got over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, just showing pictures of lashes, I guarantee you, you bought those followers because there's no one liking a page just for lashes all day. This is not enough. There needs to be more value than that. But that said, for us, we've built our audience knowing that it's going to take five, 10, 15 years to build, not just a month or two or six months. Yeah. And if you keep at it and keep looking for that person who wants your information and be patient, extremely patient, this is a Gary Vism, being patient, right? Act quickly, but at the same time, be extremely patient, play the long game. You'll look back like we do now. Our podcast, just like a week, two weeks ago, broke 2 million plays. And wow. that's, a, that's a lot for a last podcast. There's not a lot. I mean, I don't know if anyone else has done it, but it's not like I that happened. happened overnight. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it happened overnight, though, right? It, it took us five, almost five and a half years to get there of just diligently doing the w- work. Another term I like to say, carrying the water, chopping the wood. Very boring, but if you chop the wood and carry the water every day, one day you look back and you'll see you've built a lake and you've cleared the land and you've done all these amazing things. But it was chopping just chopping the wood and carrying the water. Just doing every the day. boring, mundane stuff every day, and you see over a year, two years, five years, immense impact. But man, it, it doesn't happen in the one media. One the other. So yeah, meddling. bunch of thoughts. I can keep going on, but. <laughs> I love that. And what an amazing way to end this episode. Guys, I've kept you way too long. I'm sure you've got tons to do, but I really Oh, oh John, it's been I can't my whole day. I got eight hours. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I gotta climb soon. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to talk to you. And I hope very much that our paths cross again soon. Oh, I'm sure Absolutely. we're planning to be in London, by the way, next January. We probably shouldn't announce it yet, but we're supposed to be in London again next January. I'll just say that. Okay. <laughs> Mum's the word. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say with who or what yet, but that's okay. coming soon. Keep watching. <laughs> yes. Right, watching. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Joanna. Yep. All right, guys, that's a wrap. We are done. We are out of here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Please follow us on Instagram at LashCast and at the Lash Conference. And remember to subscribe, share, and review on behalf of my Lash Confidant, Tusney, as well as our special guest, Joanna Lee. I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing. And remember, you have a friend in the lash industry.